Thank you, Lilla, for standing in for Mary today at the last minute. That's very much appreciated. We're going to turn in our Bibles to the last book of the Bible this morning, Revelation, in chapter 12. I'd like to draw your attention to that great chapter of the Word. And uh, we're going to read it through and then we'll talk through the passage. So keep your Bibles open. If you haven't got a Bible with you, there are some Bibles at the back and it would greatly help you to be able to follow along uh, in the passage. Because what I'm giving you today is not my views, I hope, but I'm giving you what the Bible says. And that's, that's what we come to church for, exposition of the Bible. That's when the word of God is heard. So Revelation chapter 12, and it says, A great and wondrous sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of twelve stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on his heads. His tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that he might devour her child. The moment it was born, she gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. That's, of course, the Lord Jesus. The woman fled into the desert to a place prepared for her by God, where she might be taken care of for 1,260 days. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of our brothers who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury, because he knows that his time is short. When the dragon saw that he had been hurled to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. The woman was given the two wings of a great eagle so that she might fly to the place prepared for her in the desert where she would be taken care of for a time, times and half a time. Out of the serpent's reach. Then from his mouth the serpent spewed water like a river to overtake the woman and sweep her away but the, with the torrent. But the earth helped the woman by opening its mouth and swallowing the river that the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. Then the dragon 
was enraged at the woman and went off to make war against the rest of her offspring, those who obey God's commands, commandments and hold to the testimony of Jesus. Please keep your Bible open there. A young pastor or a young man was at theological seminary training to become a pastor and as a part of his training he had to write a one-hour paper and uh, it was exam conditions and the paper when he turned it over said you are to write half about the Holy Spirit and the other half of this paper about the devil. Well, despite what he was told, he wrote for the whole time about the Holy Spirit. And then at the end, he just gave this little note. I have no time for the devil. And uh, he meant that in more ways than one. Now, friends, I share sentiments with that young man because I have no time for the devil either. And I certainly wish he had no time for me. But nevertheless, today I want to speak to you on the subject of Satan versus Israel. And I want to try and show you how Satan is the nation of Israel's number one public enemy. And this is a very important thing. If you were to go to the Jewish people today and ask them who their enemies are, they would say to you Hamas, they would say to you Hezbollah, they would say to you Iran, and so on. But actually, their greatest enemy is not the physical one, it's the spiritual one. It's the devil himself. As it says in Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. What that verse is telling us is it's not the physical enemy you're really dealing with, that's your real enemy, it's the spiritual enemy. That's who you're really in battle with. And uh, that's who Israel is up against. You see, it's a little bit like uh, uh, a remote control car. I don't know if you've uh, had a go at playing around with these things. But if you walked in this room and saw this remote control car going over this obstacle course, then you might think to yourself, wow, what an amazing little car able to do all those things. That's just incredible, a car doing that all on its own. But of course, actually, it's not doing it on its own. There's a man, a grown-up boy, with his hands on the control, uh, steering that thing and, uh, uh, and manipulating it. Well, that's exactly the same as what we've got going on in the world today. There's an invisible line of power. We see Hamas and groups like that in the news today attacking Israel. But what we don't see is behind the scene, and we see the devil pulling the controls. And he is the one who is out to destroy the nation of Israel. And that's what this chapter uh, is all about. Now, you may be saying to yourself, well, hang on a minute, John. I, I don't see where the word Israel is mentioned in that chapter at all. Where do you find Israel here? Well, actually, Israel is not mentioned by name, but she is mentioned in a picture form at the beginning. You'll notice we had a picture of a woman clothed with the sun, and she's got the moon uh, under her feet, and she has a crown of 12 stars around her head. And that is a picture of Israel. Now, a lot of people will say, well, that's a picture of, uh, of the Virgin Mary, because the Virgin Mary is the one who brought Jesus into the world. That's the Roman Catholic interpretation of this. Well, it is Mary in the sense that she's a part of Israel, but it's not Mary uh, particularly uh, in this chapter. 
Uh, and it's not the church. If it's the church, we've got real problems because uh, the church is pregnant. She's pregnant with her saviour, which doesn't make any sense at all. And she's meant to be the bride of Christ, not the mother of Christ. So you end up with real confusion if you make this a picture of the church. No, it's a picture of Israel. And if you let the Bible be its own interpreter, it's not difficult to see that because it's using Old Testament imagery to explain it. Back in Genesis chapter 37, we read the story of Joseph, and Joseph was given a dream that he uh, was one of the stars, and there would be the sun and the moon and the 12 stars, the 11 stars, bowing down to him. And he told that to his family, and his father was the one who reacted. His father said to him, what do you mean that your mother and I and your 11 brothers are all going to bow down to you? He didn't like it. But he got the message. The sun, the moon, the 12 stars, Joseph being the 12th, is a picture of Israel. And that's what we have there, a woman who is in that situation. And uh, she is carrying a child because she's Israel who brought the Messiah into the world. As we see from the Old Testament turning to the New Testament, the Lord Jesus came through the Jewish people. And the devil is pictured as this dragon who is poised, ready to kill the child as soon as it's born. Now, I'm not making that up. If you go down to verse 9, you'll see it says, The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He is the one who's pictured by that great dragon, and he is trying to destroy Israel and destroy her offspring, uh, the, the Messiah who came from her. And so what we see in this chapter, in summary, there is Israel faced against Satan, Satan against Israel. And this is such an important thing for us to understand and take on board, not just because it's about the end times, it's in the book of Revelation about the end times, but for all time. Because this gives us a a perspective, a worldview of what's going on. I want to say this, Christians need to get their worldview from the Bible, not from the BBC or the school or anywhere else. We need to get our worldview from what the Bible says. And this is our worldview on the situation about Israel. And we need to realize that the real enemy is the one who is behind the scene, S-E-E-N. Uh, behind what is seen and uh, see that Israel is up against a spiritual evil enemy like none other. And so this morning I'd like us to see that as we go through this chapter and over uh, through th- looking at it under three headings, an historical overview, a heavenly overthrow and a hostile overspill. And uh, that's uh, how we see this chapter divided up. So, as David said, the battle is the Lord's, and uh, we're going to see in each place how when Satan makes his move, God preserves Israel for her destiny, which is salvation in the end. Let's see, first of all then, uh, in the first place, in verses 1 to 6, through uh, an historical overview of Satan's fight against Israel. 
Now, I don't know about you, but when I'm working on something, I like to have an overview. I like to have a plan of where I'm going so I understand things. I heard about a lady who uh, bought her grandchildren some jigsaw puzzles for Christmas, uh, but she knew the grandchildren were very good at the jigsaw puzzles and uh, that they would take no time at all to do them. So what she did was she took all the covers off and swapped them around. So the kids had the wrong pictures for the big jigsaw puzzles uh, to make it take a long, longer for them to be able to put them together. Well, I think that's a bit cruel, really, isn't it? But, uh, you know, when we come to this passage, I'm very grateful to have an overview at the beginning uh, in these opening verses, especially verses 3 to 6, because they help us to make sense of what's going on. Without this, we would greatly understand Israel's suffering and we would possibly even blame it on Israel herself, a bit like Job's comforters blamed his suffering on him. And Job is a picture of Israel in in the scriptures. We don't want to make that same mistake. Uh, And so this overview is very helpful and it helps us steer our way through this subject. It tells us, first of all, in verse 3, of Satan's description. It tells us about her enemy, verse 3. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on his head. Now, this is a symbolic picture, but it's a symbolic picture of a real thing. And all the symbols in the book of Revelation are not just symbols of symbols of symbols. They're symbols of real things. And it's, it has a literal interpretation. And this dragon is a picture of the devil and his work against Israel. Notice, first of all, he's a red dragon. That's what we see here. Now, what's significant about the color red in the Bible? Some people are going to say, well, red's the color of blood. It is. Uh, some people are going to say, well, red's the color of anger. You know, you go angry, you go red in your face, and the devil's angry about things. Well, that's true as well. But uh, actually, red is a particularly significant color in the Bible because it links us right back to the beginning and a man by the name of Esau. Esau. Do you remember Esau, Jacob's brother, in Genesis chapter 25? When Jacob and Esau were born in Genesis 25, verse 25, it says, The first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment, so they named him Esau. And later on, when he uh, uh, negotiated with Jacob uh, for his stew, he said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. That is why he is also called Edom, because the name Edom means red. So red in the Bible is a color especially associated with Edom, uh, who is Esau uh, uh, in the Bible. And actually, isn't it interesting, when you look at all the people who have tried to persecute the Jews and wipe them out in the Old Testament, a large number of them have been Edomites. Who were the first group to attack Israel when they came out of Egypt? It was the Amalekites. And the Amalekites are descendants of Esau, according to Genesis 36. Uh, You remember the story of Esther and how Haman, uh, the Agagite, came against the Jewish people and tried to wipe them out. Well, what does it mean he's an Agagite? Well, Agag was the king that Saul was supposed to kill, who was an Amalekite, again, descendant of Esau. Uh, We think of Dueg, the Edomite, who was against David. And we think especially of King Herod, 
in the New Testament, in the Nativity account, who was an Edomian, an Edomite, and he killed all the babies in Bethlehem to try and kill the Messiah. So we have a picture here uh, that is very real to history. The message is clear. The red dragon is Satan and he's trying to destroy Israel. But you might say, well, what about uh, the uh, seven heads and the ten horns? Where does that come in? Well, again, the Bible is its own best interpreter. If you read the book of Daniel, which is a prophetic book, which Revelation gets a lot of its information out of and then gives us more application of it, you see in Daniel, chapter 7, a vision of the world empires coming out of the sea, uh, which is a picture of the Gentile world, and one empire after another coming out of the Gentile world, and they're pictured as different animals. A bit like we would say, you know, the British bulldog, or uh, you know, the Chinese tiger or whatever. He saw different animals uh, depicting different kingdoms. I haven't got time to go into that, but if you go into that chapter, you'll count the heads because there's a four-headed leopard for Greece after the uh, breakdown of the Alexandrian Empire into the four generals who took over. And you have, counting them up, seven heads. And on the last beast, there are ten horns. So the seven heads and ten horns is, is connected with that. And what this is telling us is the devil has been working through all the Gentile nations uh, at the different times uh, to bring about this aim and using the Edomites uh, especially. And this, this dragon throws the stars down to the earth. The stars in the Bible are a picture of the angels, according to chapter 1, verse 20, the Son of Man, the Lord Jesus, holds the seven stars in his hands, which are the angels of the churches, Revelation 1.20. And the devil is going to cast down his fallen angels down to the earth. And uh, we see that happening in different times. We see it in the days before the flood with the, with the angels coming down. Uh, and you have the whole episode with the Nephilim. And isn't it interesting when you read in the Gospels how many people were demon-possessed that Jesus healed of demon possession? Why was that? Because the devil was throwing everything he had to try and stop the Messiah and deal with him. So this is the, this is the picture we have of, uh, uh, of the devil here. One who mobilizes his forces, his spiritual forces, against Israel and against the Messiah. And I just want Christians to get a proper view of the devil. You know, a lot of us have the idea that the devil is just a little red dude with a bad attitude. He's not. He's a serial killer. He's a serial killer. He has a long history of serious bloodshed against Israel and against the people of God. And we need to take him more seriously, perhaps, than we do. But not only do we see in this overview Satan's description, we see Satan's design in verse 4. Because in verse 4, it says uh, in the second half, the dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that he might devour her child the moment it was born. And very simply, Satan's design, especially in the Old Testament, was to stop Jesus being born or to kill him as soon as he was born. And uh, that's why he's described as being before the woman ready to devour her child. He wanted to destroy the Messiah. You say, well, why was that? Well, if you go back to the beginning and go back to the book of Genesis, you remember after Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, God gave them a promise, didn't he? 
He said that one would come from the seed of the woman who would crush the serpent's head. In other words, I'm going to bring a Satan crusher, a deliverer into the world who will save mankind. And Satan heard that prophecy that day. And he said, right, if he's coming, I'm going to get to him first. And I'm going to, if he's coming through Israel, I'm going to wipe out the mother. If you get the mother, you get the child too. And so that explains why all the way through the Old Testament, you have uh, one murderer after another trying to destroy the Jewish people, whether it's Pharaoh casting the babies, baby boys into the water in the, in, in the uh, Nile and drowning them, or H- Haman again, as we said, or others. This was his design to stop Jesus coming. And praise God, he wasn't able to do it. But you say, well, why does the devil still try to destroy Israel now? Well, that's a good question, isn't it? And the reason is, although he didn't stop the first coming, he wants now to stop the second coming. And that also is linked to Israel. You say, how is that linked to Israel? Well, the last words that Jesus officially said to the nation of Israel before he went to the cross and his trial was this. In Matthew 23, 39, For I tell you, you will not see me again, Israel, You will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. It's a quotation from Psalm 118. And that psalm is a messianic psalm calling for the Messiah to come. And Jesus is saying to Israel, you will not see me again in my official capacity as the Messiah until you call for me and recognize me as the Messiah. And that's... Uh, what Jesus said. Not only that, Peter said the same thing. When Peter was challenging the uh, Jewish leaders in Acts chapter 3, he challenged them. He said, repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out and that times of refreshing may come from the Lord and that he may send the Christ who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. You see, he's saying here that the key, the trigger, if you like, for the second coming is the repentance of the Jews. And that's why the devil is today still trying to destroy the Jewish people. He figures, it's my only hope. Stop the Jewish people repenting, so kill them first, and the second coming won't happen. Then I won't be thrown into the lake of fire, as the book of Revelation says. And that's why uh, all the way through history, whether it be Hitler or whoever, he has tried to destroy them and he's never far away you know is their experience is a bit like uh, uh billy bray the tin miner the cornish tin miner who became a christian uh, if you've ever read billy bray's story it's a fantastic story a man who was a real hardened drinking man who who became a christian and uh, when he became a christian he was out and out for the lord jesus and his friends used to make fun of him and one night he was walking home from church and his friends knew he'd be doing this so they went ahead of him down the road and they climbed a tree and when he came past that area they all went Ooh, and they said billy bray this is the devil up in this tree come to get you and he said you're up in the tree are you he said you're never normally that far away See, when you walk with the Lord, you do find the devil dogs your steps, don't you? And that's the same with Israel. The devil is never far away from them. So that's the devil's design. And I want to say, if that's the devil's design, what should our design be as Christians? We should be praying for the salvation of Israel. 
And this is what Paul said in Romans chapter 10. Brothers, my heart's cry and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. And that's what we should be praying for, the salvation of the Jewish people. It is the trigger for the second coming. You want the Lord to come? Pray for the nation of Israel to see the Messiah and turn to him and be saved. That's Satan's design. But Satan's disappointment is seen in verses 5 to 6 because it says she gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. The woman fled into the desert to a place prepared for her by God where she might be taken care of for 1,260 days. In two verses, these words cover the first coming and the second coming of Christ. They span the whole messianic history uh, and show Satan's defeat. The catching up of the child to the throne of God is, of course, the ascension. The Greek word is harpazo, actually. It's the same word that's used for the rapture. And it's when the Lord Jesus ascended to the throne of God. And that's where he is today, praise God, in session, in glory. But what about the second part, uh, where the woman flees into the desert? That's prophesying a future exodus of the Jewish people. Not an exodus through the wilderness to the promised land, but as we're going to see in the book of Revelation, if we read a little bit later, because of what happens, an exodus from the promised land out into the wilderness. And uh, she's going to be kept out there for 1,260 days. That's three and a half years by the uh, lunar calendar which Israel goes by. And that's how long the last half of the tribulation is. And just as God took care of Elijah for three and a half years uh, on the uh, other side of the Jordan when he was hiding from Ahab, so he's going to do the same with Israel. And just as Elijah was fed by the ravens, so it says here that she might be taken care of. God has a plan to take care of Israel uh, at that time as well. So you put those verses together and what you see, he failed in both his designs, didn't he? To kill the baby, he didn't do it. The child ascended to the throne of God, hallelujah. And at the other end of the New Testament, when he comes to try and stop the second coming, he can't get to Israel because God's going to take her to a place of safety. So what we see here is Israel is protected by God in this way for the destiny that he has for her. As one person put it, they are the nation that simply will not go away. And to all the enemies of Israel, that's their biggest frustration, isn't it? So that's uh, the historical overview. The second thing we see in this passage is a heavenly overthrow of Satan's forces against Israel. Because in verses 7 through to 12, the middle part of the chapter, we come uh, to a, a heavenly scene rather than an earthly scene. And we switch now to the heavenlies. And we see here the overthrow of Satan's spiritual forces in a war with God's holy angels. Now, I want to say this. This war is prophecy, it's not history. Because a lot of Christians think, oh, this is what happened back in the past, the devil fell and he was thrown out. And I want to tell you, that's not history, that's prophecy. The devil has not been thrown out of heaven yet. He still has access to heaven. Read the book of Job. 
Read the book of Zechariah, chapter 3. He goes to heaven to accuse the saints. And this is what is called, uh, or this is why he's called the accuser of the brethren in verse 10 here. So this is future when he will be thrown down later on. Uh, But that's why it's good to understand these things and to take them on board. These verses are the middle part of the book of Revelation, not just the middle part of this chapter. And they tell us that the devil is going to lose. And they tell us that Christ is going to be exalted. And that's our great message that we have to present today. Let's see how this breaks down. We have the clash of arms in verses 7 to 9. Just read verse 7. It says, And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. Now, who is Michael here? Well, let's say who he's not, just to be clear. Michael is not Jesus. The Jehovah's Witnesses will try to tell you that Michael is Jesus because they want to demote Jesus to the position of an angel. And what they'll say to you is, look, the name Michael means who is like God, you see. And Jesus is like God. He's not God. He's like God. But what they miss is the question mark on the end. It's not a statement. It's a question. Who is like God? And the answer is no one. That's why God says in Isaiah 45 verse 6, who, 46 verse 5, who will you liken me to? Who will you compare me to? There's no one like me. So it's not Jesus. It is an angel who is especially assigned to the nation of Israel. We see that in Daniel 12 verse 1, where he's called the great prince who stands watch over Israel. So he's a very suitable person to be doing battle with Satan. And according to one scholar, the Greek here implies that Michael takes the battle to Satan. It's not Satan's launched an attack on Michael. Michael says, right. Now we've had enough of you. (laughs) And now the battle goes to Satan. And he is cast out of heaven and he is overthrown because he was not strong enough. Do you know, I want to underline that because the devil is not omnipotent. All right. He is very powerful and he is to be respected as the book of Jude tells us. But he's not equal with God. And the whole idea of yin and yang that you get east and west, uh, uh, black and white, the dark side of the force, the light side of the force is not a Christian philosophy. It's one that comes from the world. The devil is weaker and he is thrown out at the clash of arms. And that leads then to a call of praise in verses 10 to 12. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of our brothers who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. There's great praise in heaven when Satan is cast down because that means the stage is set for the kingdom of God to appear. And that's what always happens when Satan is overthrown. Do you remember what the Lord Jesus said in Luke chapter 11, verse 46? Sorry, Luke 11, verse 20, when he he drove the demons out of a man. He said, if I, by the finger of God, have driven out the evil one, the kingdom of God is among you. You see, when the devil is cast out, the Lord's kingdom is near. And that's why they praise in heaven, because the established kingdom on earth is on its way when this happens. 
But it's also good news for all the Christians because the accuser who accuses us day and night is hurled down at this point and he can no longer accuse us. It's wonderful. And uh, verse 11 says, they who are the Christians at that time and all time, they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. And I just want to put this in. This is how you defeat the devil. All right, there's three things here. We defeat the devil by the cross. That's the blood of the lamb. Jesus paid for our sins, so we're forgiven. And he has no claim on our soul. We can go to heaven because of what Jesus has done. We overcome him by our confession. Now, what is our confession here or our testimony? They have the word of their testimony. Some people think that means you going out and giving your testimony. You know, you go out and you give your testimony to someone on the street. Or when you get baptized, you give your testimony. Well, certainly that's a good thing to do. But actually, the Greek word homologio there is a word that means to say the same as. And this is vital, all right? When you say the same about yourself as God says about you, it's a part of the battle being won against the devil. You see, a lot of people, they have asked the Lord Jesus to be their savior, but you know what they do? They go around like this. They say, oh, I'm a terrible sinner. I'm a terrible sinner. And every time you meet them, they say, oh, I'm in a terrible spiritual shape. I'm a terrible sinner. I'm a terrible sinner. And that's all they say, all the time. You try and help them, you show them words of grace in the scripture, strengthen them with some words of a hymn, and next time you see them, it's the same. Oh, I'm a terrible sinner. And they, they absolutely drain people down with this constant addiction to a morbid mentality about themselves. And it's wrong, brothers and sisters. It's wrong. When we're saved, we should say the same about ourselves as God says about us. And God declares us righteous. If we've trusted in Christ, we're blood washed, justified, made right before God on Christ alone. Blessed, says David, which is a wonderful thing. And he wrote this after his adultery with Bathsheba. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. So say about yourself what God says about you and you'll get the victory over the devil. Honestly, by, your, by the cross, by the confession and by commitment too because these people love their lives not to shrink from death. They were committed to go all the way with the Lord Jesus and that's what you and I should be like too. So there was great praise in heaven. Therefore rejoice you heavens and you who dwell in them. But also we see there was uh, a warning cry go out to the people of the earth. And the warning cry goes something like this. Look out below. <laughs> Look out below. Because he says in verse 12, But woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury, because he knows that his time is short. You know, the devil's coming down to earth because he's going to be thrown out. And uh, he is going to be very angry about what has happened to him. And so the people on earth need to uh, watch out because he is coming down to earth. And, you know, this is something that I think we need to take on board. A lot of people are very worried today about aliens. You see a, a UFO film or something, they're worried about alien invasions, and they hear things from NASA in the news lately, and they say, oh, you know, are we going to have a visit? Listen, 
Never mind about aliens. The devil is coming down. And the best place for you is to be out of the way. So you trust in Christ and come to Christ and be right in God before, before the Lord Jesus, uh, by the Lord Jesus, and be saved from the things that are to come. The Lord Jesus is coming for his church, and I want to be out of the way of the devil when the devil comes. So make sure you come to Christ if you've not yet done so. The third thing we see in this passage uh, is this, is we see a hostile overspill of Satan, uh, Satan's fury against Israel. Because when Satan's come down, he's changed his location, but he hasn't changed his vocation. And we see in verse 13, when the dragon saw that he had been hurled to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. And he's still on the job of trying to destroy the Jews. But what do we see here in verse 14? The woman was given two wings of a great eagle so that she might fly to the place prepared for her in the desert where she, should, where she would be taken care of for a time, times, and half a time. So when the devil comes down, he makes it his specific aim to go after Israel uh, in person and with his forces. But God has prepared a place in the desert for her. Now, where is this place? We have a good guess because in the book of Micah and in other Old Testament scriptures, there's a lot of references to Israel taking refuge in a place called Bosra or Petra, as it's known in its Greek name. And you've probably seen Petra on the TV and seen it in the films and things like that. It's the rock city, but it's, it's in the shape of a sheepfold. It has a very narrow entrance for uh, 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 entrance, which makes it a military stronghold uh, in effect. And it's a safe place for Israel to go. Micah 2 verse 12 says, I will surely assemble all of you, O Jacob, like sheep of the fold. The Hebrew word is Bosra. And we think that it's probably going to be out there. But they're going to go out to the desert for their safety. As the Lord Jesus said, when you see these things, let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the roof of his house go down to take anything out of his house and so on, uh, because he knows that the time is short. So they're going to obey those words of the Lord Jesus if they trust in him, and they're going to go to the place of safety for the last three and a half years, which is the time, time, and half a time. And God is going to speed them on their way. He's going to give them the wings of an eagle. You say, what's that? The wings of an eagle. Do you remember the Exodus? In Exodus 19, God said, I bought you out on eagle's wings. In other words, I bought you out quickly. I brought you out with speed. I gave power to your exit to be able to come out. Well, it's going to be the same again. But the devil isn't going to give up. And in verse 15, it says, Then from his mouth the serpent spewed water like a river to overtake the woman and sweep her away with the torrent. Now, what is this, this spewing out of water in his anger against her? Some people think it's, it's an army that goes chasing after her. Because in the Bible, a flood is often a picture of an army, uh, as in Isaiah and so on. But I think there's no need to spiritualize it. Because the, one of the things that Israel knows all too well about is the wadis and the floods of the wadis. And how quickly they lead to tragedy. Because every year... Uh, tourists and people who 
go hiking uh, in the Negev and places like that, they drown in the wadis when they suddenly get filled with water. And uh, this is something that the devil will try to make use of. By the way, that explains why the Lord Jesus said, pray that your flight doesn't take place in winter. Doesn't that make sense now? Because that's when the rain's going to come, you'll have these problems. The words of Christ hang together, don't they? Uh, But the Lord is going to overcome that problem by opening another mouth, which is the mouth of the ground, to take away the water and help the woman. He said, do you really believe God can do that? Yes, I do. He's done it before. Read the book of Numbers and see what happened at Korah's rebellion when the ground opened up and swallowed uh, the enemy. So the devil then has nothing left to do except go after those who are Israel's offspring. I think that's the people who have been saved through the witness of the Jewish Christians uh, in in the tribulation period at that time. But what I see here is an outworking of that beautiful verse in the Song of Songs. Many waters cannot quench love, nor can floods drown it. All of Satan's hatred against Israel cannot drown her, because the love of God for Israel is greater, and he is able to preserve her for her destiny. You say, John, you keep saying about her destiny. What is her destiny? Romans 11.25 and all Israel shall be saved. One day Israel is going to recognize the Lord Jesus as her Messiah in answer to our prayers, and she's going to repent and turn to the Lord Jesus and put her trust in him. And God is preserving her for that day. And you know what? That's what it's been like for many of us, and maybe it's been like for you too. Throughout our lives, before we became Christians, we could look back and we say, you know how God protected me? It's amazing. I should be dead by now. But God protected me. John Bunyan, I love the story of Bunyan. Uh, He tells in his book, Grace Abounding to the Chief of Sinners. He says, once I fell into a creek of the sea and had hardly escaped drowning. Another time I fell out of a boat into a Bedford River, but mercy preserved me alive. Besides another time being in the field with one of my companions, I chanced that an adder passed over the highway. So having a stick in my hand, I struck her on the back and having stunned her, I forced open her mouth with my stick and plucked her sting out with my fingers. By which act had God not been merciful to me, I might have by my desperateness been brought to my, brought myself to my end. And he could look back over a catalogue of things he, that could have killed him. But he said, God kept me for my destiny to become a believer. And maybe that's what's happened to you too. Maybe the Lord has preserved you. And I want to say this. If so, you need to turn to the Lord Jesus Christ and put your trust in him. And be saved from your sins. He's a faithful God. He's faithful to Israel. He'll be faithful to you. And if you put your trust in him, you will be secure in him against the power of devil, of the devil to have your soul for all eternity. Friends, I want you to think about this. The battle is Satan against Israel. When you hear it on the TV, keep it in your minds. Keep it in your thoughts. And keep it in your prayers. Because what Israel needs is the prayers of God's people. And may each one of us be like Paul who prays for their salvation.